Welcome, Grace family, to another Sunday. We're so happy that you are joining us. And for some of you, it's the first time that you are gathering in a Sunday home gathering. So we are starting to roll those out. Some are starting next week, and some will happen in a few weeks after that. And so let us know. If you are not in a home gathering, we would love to add you to one. There's an opportunity to uh, let us know in the email. And so for those of you that are gathering today, I want you to celebrate and give each other a COVID high five. And we love that you are back gathering. It is uh, a, a reason to celebrate after this long season. So if you would, please enter into worship with us now. Let's take a breath and center ourselves as we enter into a time of worshiping God through song. Worshiping the God who knows us and loves us and the God, the one true God, who desires our attention. Let's give our attention to him now. Let's come before him and sing together near the cross.
Hey, Grace family, you know, in these turbulent times, a question that I'm sure many of us are asking is, how do we as a church process and absorb all that is going on around us? First of all, we must remember that though we're in this world, as Christians, we're not of this world. And that reality really has fundamental implications for us. Most importantly, it should mean that we take in all that is happening around us, as well as all the voices we listen to, through the lens and filter of a biblical worldview, through the lens of the gospel. If we allow our secular culture to dictate the terms of our understanding, then we will inevitably lose our bearings. And I say that because this past week, Tracy and I have been really deeply burdened for our church. I'm sure many of you have felt the same. It's felt that so many things are threatening to pull us apart. Views on government, politics, COVID, race, even how we're choosing to gather as a church. And it's okay to have our own opinions, preferences, and sensibilities. But when those convictions drive a wedge between us, then we have some work to do. Will we take our cue from the world? Will we allow the issues we are contending with to pull us apart? Can we stand together even while we process all this and, and work this out? You know, I think we have a golden opportunity to do something extremely countercultural here. We can graciously absorb the things that threaten to divide us and show the world what it looks like to love one another. Let us model to the world what it looks like to engage in civil discourse, what it looks like to listen well, to be deferential, giving preference to one another in honor, seeking first to understand than to be understood. We can do this. We can do this because we have been saved by grace, because we are the forgiven through Christ. Truth which should evoke a posture of humility towards all people. We can do this because we have the bond of Christ, which is not just a theological reality. It's a reality expressed in the truth that the Spirit of Christ is living and active inside each of us. We can do this because we have been adopted into the same family, a family with infinitely deeper bonds than blood, a bond that we will take into eternity. So let's hold on to these truths May these truths prevail and transcend the winds of discord and controversy. The scriptures tell us they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Let us show the world the way. The world needs this from us, and we need this from us. Father, we call upon you to quiet the storm this storm that is raging all around us, a storm that may be raging in our own hearts and threatens not only ourselves, but our fellowship with one another. I think of Peter, whose momentary faith was dislodged by his fears of the strong winds and waves that caused him to take his eyes off you and cry out, Save me, Lord. May we not look away. 
though the winds rage around us, may we together fix our eyes on you. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light. Let's read God's word together. Our passage today is Romans 14, verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 19. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is the word of the Lord. So as we mentioned last week, this summer we are embarking on a series on what it means to be the church. We're asking the basic question, what is the church and how do we relate to one another as the church, especially in these really challenging times? And the way we're doing that is we are looking at the one another's of scripture, meaning times where the scripture calls us to engage one another in particular ways. And let me just teach you the Greek word right now for one another. It is the word alelon. That means one another. And we'll be looking at places in the New Testament where that word shows up and what the context tells us about what the church is and what it means to be the church. 
And so today we start this with Romans 14, and the one another is found in verse 13, where Paul says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And so what I want to do this morning is just first set the context of this chapter and then offer three principles that Paul gives us for how we ought to navigate lives together. All right, so first, the context of this passage begins in verse 1. Let me read verse 1 to you. It says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So here's the context, really, of chapter 14 and 15, is how do we relate to one another in the question of disputable matters, meaning matters that are not essential to the gospel, matters that are arguable, that are disputable, that two Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christians could legitimately disagree on. And just to give you the, the larger first century context is to, to remi- remind us of the miracle that God had, had done in the first century in bringing Jews and Gentiles together into the church, into one body. And what he had done is taken these two people groups who for centuries had experienced animosity and resentment and suspicion towards one another. And for really for centuries, the whole the people of God were mostly comprised of Jews. And so being the people of God had to do with what it meant to be Jewish. And then in the first century, Jesus comes along and he dies for the sins of the world. And now this gospel is being preached that through faith in Christ alone, people can now be a part of the family of God. And so in the first century, you have this really this sociological experiment of these two groups who had never been together, coming together and trying to figure out how do we live with one another in the midst of all of our different sensibilities and in the midst of disputable matters. And the two matters that Paul is dealing with in these chapters are uh, kosher laws and Sabbath observance. So first, kosher laws. Look at verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And then the Sabbath observance you find in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. So kosher laws, Sabbath observance, we hear those today. We're like, those aren't particularly charged issues, right? Those don't feel that important. But you have to appreciate in the first century, those were such important issues. I mean, for centuries, those things defined the people of God. And and yet when the the Gentiles came into the body of Christ, uh, they didn't have any of those sensibilities. And so you can imagine how, how that created tension in their fellowship. I mean, just picture like a Gentile family inviting a Jewish family over for dinner and serving pork. And the Jewish family being like, yeah, this doesn't work for us. We're not comfortable with this. And the Gentiles are like, but we have freedom to do this. And so it created all sorts of tension and, and disputes about how to engage in this. And I'm starting with this passage because I think now 2,000 years later, we are living in a moment where we are being daily confronted with all sorts of disputable matters, matters where people really disagree, but that aren't at the essence of what the gospel is. So for instance, what should our government's response to COVID be? It's a very disputable matter. What should the church's response to COVID be? When and how should churches reopen? That's a very disputable matter. And then there's just personal sensibilities that we all have. Like some of you came to a home gathering this morning for the first time, and the minute you walked in, you were confronted with a disputable matter, right? Are we, are we going to hug? Are we going to fist bump? Are we going to, you know, COVID, COVID high five this thing? What are we going to do? 
And then on top of all of that, you have all of the racial tension and conversations that have been taking place over the past couple of weeks. Now, race, I think, is actually central to the gospel. At the heart of the New Testament documents is this gospel of God bringing Jew and Gentile and any people groups and uniting them into one person. So that is central. But the question of how, like, how do we move forward as a nation in this time? Um, obviously, highly debated even among Christians. All that to say, we are in this moment where we are drowning in disputable matters. You cannot escape them. And we're three months into COVID and everybody's, I think, at their wits end and there's heightened stress and anxiety. Everybody's just ready to go back to normalcy. And so the question is, how do we be the church in a moment like this? How do we engage one another well in the midst of all of these disputable matters? And so what Paul does in this passage is he gives us three principles that can guide our thinking and living. So let me just talk you through these three. So principle number one is this. First, develop personal conviction on these issues. Look at verse five. I read it already. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. But here it is right here. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't say, hey, these issues aren't like essential to the gospel, so they're not really important, so it doesn't really matter what you think about them. He says, no, you should think about these things well. You should look into these issues. You should consider the various perspectives, and you should, you should seek conviction on these things, and you should be fully convinced in your own mind about how you are to think and live in these issues. And here's why. Look at verse 12. I know we didn't read this in the reading, but look at verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Verse 7 shares a similar idea. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Develop a personal conviction. Here's why. You don't belong to yourself anymore, Paul's saying. You belong to Jesus. And one day you will give an account. And his language is so clear that when Christ returns and we stand before God, we will give an account as individuals, right? We will not give an account as, as families or people groups, but each one of us, he says, will give an account of ourselves, not of our brother, not of our friend, but of ourselves. And so we want to develop conviction and, and come up with a life that says, how can I live my life faithful to how Jesus is calling me to live so that when I stand before him that day, I can hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. And what's also interesting to me in this is that it seems that Paul allows room for people to arrive at different conclusions on these issues, and yet each one of them could be faithful in living out the way that God has designed them to live out. I mean, look at verse 14. Paul says, I am personally convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone else regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So Paul's allowing for a certain degree of subjectivity, of a person living according to their own conscience, which might be a little different than someone else's conscience. And again, these are non-essential issues. So all that to say, develop deep conviction, live with intentionality because why your life 
belongs to the Lord, and you will have to give an account for how you lived your life before the Lord. So that's principle number one. But having said that, here's principle number two. It's our verse, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So develop your personal convictions, yes, but let's stop passing judgment on one another. By that, I think what Paul means is this. Have your convictions, but don't look down on those whose convictions differ from you in these ways. Meaning, don't have a spirit of superiority towards them. Don't don't have a spirit of bitterness or exasperation or, or contention towards them. Why not? Well, Paul gives us two really good reasons. Uh, the first is in verse 4. Let me read verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Paul reminds us, hey, that person with a different conviction, you're not their master. <laughs> Jesus is. They are someone else's servant. You do not have to, to deal with their convictions, right? Jesus is perfectly capable of dealing with his own servants and, and their, their posture and positions on life. Do we speak into each other's lives? Of course. But we don't carry a posture of judgment towards somebody else's servant, Paul is saying. And then the other reason we don't judge is in verse, verse 15. And I think this really gets to the heart of what the church is. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, and here's the phrase, destroy someone for whom Christ died. It's that for whom Christ died that really hit me this week. And you think about at the most basic level, what is the church? The church is a group of people for whom Christ died, right? I mean, that's the story. We were rebels. We were sinners. We were alienated from God. And then Jesus stepped into the gap for us. And through a violent death on a cross, he gave his life. He became the Passover lamb for us, the sacrificial lamb, so that we could be reconciled to God first, and then through that also reconciled to one another. That's why Paul uses the language of brother and sister. You are now part of the same family. You've been reconciled to God. You're, you're brothers and sisters. And so we are a group of people uh, for whom this is true. Because of Jesus' death, our Passover lamb, God's judgment has passed over us, right? We now have his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And so in light of that, Paul is saying, your brothers and sisters in Christ, stop passing judgment on one another. Why? Because God's judgment has passed over that person. You do not want to sit in judgment over someone for whom God has, has forgiven and been merciful towards. And he's been that way to you, by the way. So let's stop passing judgment on those whom God has forgiven. And it's just, I know this is kind of basic, but it's so important to remember what the church is at its core. The church at its core is not a social group, right? It's not, a, it's not an affinity group. It's not a political party. It's not an organization. At its core, it is a group of messy, broken sinners who have all received God's forgiveness and grace. And we need that robust view of the church and of one another to look at each other and all of our imperfections, but to still see you have experienced God's forgiveness and grace. And who am I not to extend that same grace 
and forgiveness to you. So Paul says, principle number two, stop passing judgment on one another on these disputable matters. And then finally, this is kind of the positive corollary, third principle, positive corollary to not passing judgment. Verse 19, I love this. And this is where we'll leave it for this morning. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. We are a family together, Paul says. So how can we engage one another in the church in ways that build one another up, that are peaceful, that lead to mutual edification. In the first century context, I think some of the practical application would be easy. Paul would be saying to Gentiles, build your Jewish brothers and sisters up. Don't eat pork around them, right? If that's going to cause them to stumble, then don't do it. You have the freedom to do that, but don't use your freedom to indulge yourself. Use your freedom to serve one another. Jews, don't look down on, on your Gentile friends and neighbors, right? They're, they don't have your history, and they have the freedom to do what they're doing. Don't judge them. God's not judging them. That, that would be the first century, I think, practical application. But what about us today? And this is the question I want to leave us with this morning is, how can we engage one another on disputable matters in ways that build one another up, that lead to unity and peace. So that's the question I want to leave you with, is to consider our own lives and ask the question, how are we interacting with one another in the midst of these disputable matters? So for example, how are we posting online? What is the tone of our posts? What is the spirit behind our posts? We, we have our convictions, right? But what is the tone and spirit behind our posts? How are we talking to one another in person on these disputable matters? Is there deference? Is there a willingness to listen to one another? How are we talking about one another when the other person is not in the room? How are we engaging in these ways? I want to leave you with verse 17, which is such a beautiful verse. Paul says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Eating and drinking those issues, those are important, but the kingdom of God fundamentally is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. And I wonder if Paul were to step into our context today, how he would have written that verse. And I can imagine him writing that verse something like this. For the kingdom of God is not fundamental, fundamentally a matter of wearing masks or not wearing masks. It is not fundamentally about opening churches in homes versus opening churches at church campuses. It's not fundamentally about posting on social media or choosing to not post on social media. It's not fundamentally about joining a protest or choosing not to join a protest. As important as all those things are, the kingdom of God is fundamentally about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So stop passing judgment on one another and build one another up. Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea pillows roll,
with my soul. With my soul, it is well. It is well with my soul. Oh, fear should accuse me, though
Well, we hope you've been encouraged, and we invite you now to engage these questions that we've given you for discussion. And we leave you with this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.